0: Hey, it's day three of IlluxCon, and I'm sitting here with artist Fred Fields. And uh, well, let's see, Fred, uh, where can people find examples of your work online so our listeners can learn more about you?
1: Uh, My website is www.fredfields. Oh, I'm sorry, fredfieldsart.com. You'd think I'd know that.
0: Um, When did you? How did you get your start
1: in freelance illustration? I have spent my career either. I, I go back and forth between freelancing and then working for someone and freelancing and, and uh, actually I, I I tend to do better if I'm working somewhere so I enjoy paycheck so that's that's why that's where what I'm doing right now uh, source as, as freelance uh, currently I, I don't do any freelance and the reason the reason is I have you know I have a 40 hour a week job where I have deadlines, and if I had, if I put deadlines on top of that, then I would probably end up hating what I do, and I don't want to do that, because the whole point is, for me, I come home at night, and I paint, because I enjoy it, and I want it to stay that way. The, um, what is your current full-time job? I work for turbine warner brothers in boston i'm a concept artist um, i do i do some illustration from time to time and i also do uh storyboards for um uh, in-game cinematic type things
0: well, do you what kind of connections do you see between the freelance work you used to do and the full-time concept
1: work that you do now well let's see. well it's it's fantasy related uh, i i work on dungeons and dragons online Ironically, since I used to work for TSR and I worked on Dungeons and Dragons and other uh, game lines like that, uh, and I also work for uh, work on Lord of the Rings Online, and if, and we have a couple of things in pre-production that we're working on. Which obviously, I can't talk about, but uh, uh, the fantasy, the fact that it's a fantasy genre is, is kind of cool. I mean, it's it's familiar territory. I enjoy it. Um, really like it. It's,
0: do you, find that, uh, do you feel that the freelance work you used to do, how did that prepare you to become a concept artist? As I know that some folks might be interested in making that jump in time, from say from the fantasy publishing market into the electronic games market as an example. I, I don't know that it did,
1: honestly. They're, they're, they're both, I mean obviously they're both art-related jobs, but they're, they're not the same. And, um concept is down and dirty and it's quick and it's ideas and uh you know and illustration is more about you know taking your idea to a certain level of finish which uh, actually old habits die hard and sometimes at work I'll I'll be noodling a little too much and a concept will take too long and I have to remind myself it's concept it's ideas so I, I don't know that one prepared me for the other. In fact, it uh, might actually hinder me with the other. I don't know.
0: Well, that's interesting. You know, it's um, you no. Know, I, I know your background before concept work was in the print illustration market, and you are doing some of your early work. How, what was your first, uh, say, some of your first
1: commissions? Dragon Magazine, Dungeon Magazine. Um, when I got out of college, I, I worked at a, an ad agency in Chicago, and. Uh, I was doing, I was, I was doing storyboards, and uh, I still came home and, and I was painting because that's what I'd done. I mean, I, I started painting when I was nine, so it's, I, it's a little more, it's a little more than a habit at this point. It's just kind of, I don't know how to not do it. Uh, so I, I was starting to do, I was starting to do fantasy illustrations, just because I was kind of interested in, in the genre. Uh, visually, I, I hadn't read a, Really, read any uh, fantasy novels or anything like that. Uh, so I started doing that, and at some point, I had I had enough work put together that I could send send out and try to get some work. Uh, I, it wasn't very good, my my portfolio, but uh, I, I got a, I got a commission doing a Dungeon magazine cover, and uh, I still have that actually. And I remember I got it in the mail, you know, when it was published, and it was very cool. But the coolest thing was I went into a bookstore uh, not long after that, and I saw it on the shelf. Right next to it was another—I don't know—I don't remember what the magazine was, but it was a Frank Rosetta illustration. It was like, right next to mine, and although I didn't like the comparison because I was not very good. <laughs> And it made my work look really bad, but it was good company, you know, so I felt like maybe I'm doing something right here. You
0: know, oh, yeah. you know it's, I know it's, it's challenging, say you're like, say if you're like me and you're going through grade school, high school, and college, and you're a pretty decent illustrator, or different, a decent artist, and you're getting a lot of praise, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in the main, you know, out in the world, and it can become, they, they've the realities of the competition hit home. What are some of the things that you might have done to address that in your work? What, what did you, when you started making these comparisons for yourself? What did you do to uh, make yourself more at ease? You know? uh,
1: I don't even, honestly, I don't think I know. I was young and I didn't. I was a little oblivious to, to all that. Um, when I got I got my job at CSR, Okay, first of all, it was a full time job. I just went to work every day, and I sat in a big room full of illustrators, and, and I could get up and walk around and, and watch them paint, and, and the larger scope, I, I lost track of. I mean, it was basically, my world was the little town I lived in, where I went to work, and that sort of thing, and so I, I think I, by being oblivious, I kind of unburdened myself with that. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense or not. And then, you know, working with these guys, uh, my my skill level just jumped uh, to the point where I was I was kind of amazed with what happened. I, I wasn't sure why it, it worked, but it did. And, and uh, I've had a couple of jumps like that in my career, and that was that was a big one. Working around like uh, Jeff, and at first it was just me, Jeff Clyde. Called uh, me Jeffy's like like Caldwell and then Brom, and then Rob Ruppel. and it was like right around that time that my 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 skills just I think went up. Um, I still did some stinkers from time to time. I still do. I, I just burn them now. Don't we all? I- yeah, yeah, really. Um, but yeah, I think I think it was Oblivious which is kind of nice.
2: You know,
0: oblivious of the of, of that kind of, uh, of that, mercifully so. For me, I'm, I, I, I'm glad that if I sometime, I think early on if I had really tried to compare myself to some of the other artists in the market, I probably would have just packed up and gone home. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, you can't
1: do that. I mean, there's always somebody better.
2: Yeah. Always. Uh,
1: and really all you can do is try to do a better painting than the last one you did. And that's really all you can do. And so I just kind of try to concentrate on that. And I don't try to compete with, you know, this guy over here or this guy over here. Because what's the point? I mean, you just drive yourself crazy doing that, you know. Um, I just try to look at my work and go, what can I do to make this better or more appealing to me? Uh, And I, I love looking at some of my older pieces because... I look at them through different eyes now, and, you know, certain things I would do differently, certain things I look back and I go, oh, wow, I kind of like that. I, I, I haven't done that in a long time. And, um, it marks time, you know. It, it, uh, you, you get a sense of how you've changed, not only as an artist, but as a person.
0: Who were some of your uh, early influences? I mean, you were surrounded by a, a fine talent pool in the offices at TSR, but w- who outside of that pool of artists
1: were you looking at? Um, Boris Vallejo, who I met uh, two days ago. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Fanboy. Uh, the obvious. present uh, mm-hmm. Michael Whelan, who's also upstairs. Um and then uh, Jeff Jones, jeez, uh, trying to think back, because I, I'll, what I do is, I'll, like, I'll, I'll suddenly I'll discover, which is funny, because a lot of these artists that I'm now influenced by are, are gone, uh, and I'll sort of discover them, like, I had no idea this person ever existed, and then and now I just immerse myself in all their work and then I'll move on to something else and then something else. And so I've, I've had a lot of influences in that way. Uh, right now I'm very into uh, the Victorian era and the golden age of illustration and uh, a lot of those guys. I'm trying to do some work that's a little more serious. Uh, I'm not, you know, I currently don't do any illustration. I paint for myself and if I'm gonna paint for myself, I, I, I wanted it to mean something, or at least to me, you know. Uh, but it, the guys that I worked with were great influencers, and I didn't even know that. I mean, you know, uh, working with Brom, uh, Alan, and Alan's turned out to be a really good friend of mine. Uh, Rob Ruffles uh, was a really good influence. Jeff, I, I love I, I love Jeff's work. I, I think he's I think he's a great guy I, uh, I just you know I, I love being around all that it's cool you
0: know, in our conversation yesterday you mentioned that you'd moved west and you were were you, were you performing were you looking at western art uh, western style artwork I, I couldn't I wasn't quite sure uh what was the question? Exactly. Uh, you mentioned that you had moved out. You had uh, you mentioned you moved out west for a time,
1: and were, were you performing, uh, looking at Western style artwork and the, that theme, or? Yeah, I, that's there. I, there's just a point in my career where I was just kind of done with fantasy for a while. I, I guess I needed a break, uh, and I just uh, my wife and I just we just moved. We just moved to Phoenix. and... And I started. Uh, I started doing work for galleries out in uh, Scottsdale and Jackson, Wyoming, and um, it was a whole other world. It's funny though, because every every genre has things like this, uh, or like you know, in fantasy art, there's conventions and, and Western art. They, they have they have the same thing. They have Western shows. People come in, you know, in full gear. And, uh, know spurs and chaps and 10 their cowboys and uh, it was it was fun I, I learned a lot about painting I just I it was a different mentality these weren't illustrations these were paintings so when I went to see other people's work it was just it was a different mentality and uh, I was working differently. Like I wasn't following a narrative, like like an illustration. I had to sort of come up with my own. Or if I saw something, uh, I used to go to these shoots. You know, it was full of actors and reenactors, and and you could set up little scenarios. And uh, so basically, I was setting up my own narrative. Um, but it, I. I that was another time where my, my, my skill level seemed to jump. I didn't notice it so much. Not like I did the first time. But, um, it was kind of pointed out to me. Uh, so it was a seven-year break, I guess. But uh, it did me a lot of good. It makes me look at uh, my work differently.
0: I, I found it's really amazing how... Um just a change of venue, or yeah. a change of your materials, or a change of changing your process can really just birth something. Yeah. You know, cause that that jump you refer to, it's, you know, it's just
1: it it's, it refreshes, it refreshes, it refreshes your soul. You know, I mean, there was just so many things that I needed to uh, work out artistically. But it was good for me. And now, what I do, and you know, right now I'm trying to do some work that isn't necessarily fantasy, but it does have a fantasy element. Um, but I'm trying to do it with with my new, I guess my new sensibility. Sounds kind of pretentious, but that's what I'm trying to do.
0: Now, what was perhaps one of the—I I hate to put you on the spot with a question like this because now you have to go down memory lane. But these times, this is the kind of question usually sticks with somebody. What's uh, perhaps one of the best pieces of advice you'd received as you uh, pursued your work from uh, maybe it was a teacher, teacher,
1: a uh, mentor, fellow artist? I've received some. Uh, no, I wow, that is a tough one.
0: So it's a doozy.
1: It's a doozy. I have, uh, I've been inspired by people telling me, you know, this can't be done. You shouldn't be doing this. You should be doing that. And I guess it's my obstinate, hard-headed nature. I just, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm doing. so I think I'm, I'm inspired by. Oh my God! I'm inspired by negativity.
0: Possibly. You're inspired by the naysayers. Apparently, yeah. maybe you're one of those folks that likes that challenge. You know well, you want to prove them
1: wrong. Well, yeah. When I was younger, <laughs> I, I don't need to stress now. <laughs>
2: um,
1: wow, that's that's a tough one. My parents were very supportive. Were and are. Um, uh, in fact, I you know I I, I got a text from my mom this morning asking me how the show was going. So you know they're they're very much behind uh, whatever I do. Uh, so that's you know that's good. My wife is too. That's you know that's huge. I, I know so many artists who, who are with people who don't understand what they do, and I, I I I don't get it. I don't know why why how you pair up with somebody. My wife puts up with quite a bit—the um, hours and hours and hours in my studio, away from the family. Uh, my kids do too. Actually, my kids come down in the studio and draw and, and that kind of thing, which is, I, I, I like. That. It's almost like it's almost like a little studio full of little artists. And,
0: I'm kind of fantasizing about that a little bit myself. It's a, you know, so my first child's coming in April, so it's... Please. Thank you. And I kind of imagine... I, I don't want to imprint all of my dreams and hopes on, on the little one, but there's a part of me would love to have that kid just crawl into the studio and hang
1: out and start meddling with paint and, yeah. and brushes and such. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to do the same thing. I, I don't want to push them because, you know, it's a hard way to make a living. Yeah. Um, so if they want to do something other than than art, be a doctor, lawyer, do it. I'm completely behind it. You still want to paint on a side, do that. But, uh, These
0: kids could be our retirement plan. You know, we think about it. You know. You
1: know, they are. They don't know it yet, but they are. They're definitely my retirement plan. <laughs> That's why I'm trying to be nice to them. You know, I've, I've already told my kids, you know, you, you can live with me as long as you want. Because... Probably going to need him. (laughs) Hey Fred, thank you so much for
0: joining us today. Appreciate it. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you.
3: Welcome to episode 119 of the Ninja Mountain Podcast, the podcast for artists and by artists. Ninja Mountain is a loose collective of fantasy sci-fi artists who like to talk about the art and business of freelance illustration. Ninja Mountain is a proud member of the Visual Artist Podcast Network. On the panel this week, we have Sokar Miles.
4: At goblamey.com.
3: Kiran Yanner At kieranyanner.com, And I am Jeremy McHugh, and I can be found at mchughstudios.com. And you can also. I also started a Facebook page, The Art of Jeremy McHugh. So if you happen to be on Facebook, you know, give me a tap. But um, that's my big shameless plug. What do you guys think? Was that good?
4: That was very. That was beautifully shameless.
3: Not too obtrusive, very subtle in my application, right? It was.
4: A, it was as subtle as a sparkly vampire.
3: It was almost like product placement in a soap opera, wasn't it?
4: Yeah. That was yeah,
3: brilliant. It was beautiful.
4: Brilliant. That was that was um, just strategic. Yeah, it it just took my breath away.
3: It'd be like you know if you were you're watching your favorite you know, an episode of The Guild, and all of a sudden you flip on one of their screens, you can see that they have, they're looking at a particular website, product placement, right there, bang. Beautiful. Hey, um, Sokar, mm. in your uh, recently in your adventures on the internet. Yes. You, you ran afoul of uh, deviant art you found something on deviant art that you found very distasteful
4: yeah, in fact, I had two weird experiences on deviant art in the same day <laughs> and I'll tell you about the shorter one first because you don't know about this yet <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, ooh, dish
4: and the first weird thing that happened was I got accused of stealing a dead person's art and yeah, somebody, somebody posted on one of my pictures uh, this pieces actually by so-and-so who died in 2003 and i was all wtf man so i was confused so i went to the dead person's uh deviant art page and it turned out that the source of the confusion was that the picture in question was the last thing that this artist added to their favorites before dying Ah, creepy (laughs) yeah that's terrible (laughs) that's awful
3: (laughs) so do you see a uh, connection there
4: um, Are you a black I
3: don't
4: know. Widow? Well, you know, you feel a little, you know, a, a goose walk over your grave when a thing like that happens. You know, mm. they're looking at your art and they die because your art. Yeah, was did
5: do they die because of your art or were <laughs> they? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the ring.
4: Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I very, I very much doubt it. I, I suspect the two were entirely unrelated, and uh, uh, <laughs> it was, and then some idiot comes along and see and sees the picture under their favorite. It's going to turn know. into
3: an urban legend. There's this JPEG that's floating <laughs> around the internet that if you see it within twenty four hours, you die.
5: You're okay. going to be accused of witchcraft and. Just
4: to, just to be clear, we're not laughing at this person. No, no, but
3: no. it's it creepy. The, the, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I can we're, understand we're, that. We're just a weird coincidence.
4: At, we're laughing at the very strange uh, person that that um, came waving accusations and creeping me the hell out. So well,
3: this is why I feel they should teach reading in school more effectively.
4: Well, you know, it's it's easy enough to make that mistake because on DVR the favorites are right there underneath. Uh, underneath the person's actual work and you know you might not notice the little header that says favorites so it's it's not that hard to make that mistake so i can i can understand where that would happen did that person
6: apologize to you
4: um they said they were wrong but they didn't actually apologize (laughs) (laughs) um, and then the second thing i noticed in in art um I was scrolling down to look at the um, uh, the daily deviation features, and I see this journal that says commission widget has been released. And I was thinking, well, that looks interesting. So I went to look at it, and it turns out it's this little widget thing where you can type in how much you want to charge for a commission. Oh
3: wait, 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 wait! Here comes somebody! Here comes somebody! We have a th- we have yet another to add to our uh, to this conversation. The uh, the nice. wise and mighty nice. Drew.
4: Nice timing, Drew. Drew, Drew,
3: Hey, Drew. Good to see you, man. Hi.
4: Hi.
3: Sir, Hi. sir. Hey, we were just we were just starting to discuss. Uh, we'll let we'll let Sokar continue, and you'll you'll be able to catch on real quick. Where okay. was I? You were talking about the widget at JV Art.
4: Uh, yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is a widget, and um, and and you you type in how much you want to charge for your commission, and then. People can buy it from you with Deviant Art points, which you can then convert to money and get via PayPal. Only there are a couple of tiny little problems with this widget, which um, uh, they, they, which translate into much larger problems. And the first of these is the most you're allowed to charge is fifty dollars. And uh, the second is Deviant Art then takes twenty percent. And you know, some professional agents charge as little as 20%, and for that money, they're taking your art to trade shows, they're approaching clients on behalf, they're negotiating with clients on your behalf so you don't have to talk to them. They're doing all sorts of nice things for you that you now don't have to worry about. Art is doing none of that. They're just, you know, helping themselves because they made a little widget. And then the fact, and but that—that's not even the bigger problem. The bigger problem is that they have capped out this commission widget at fifty dollars. <laughs> you know, the people, the people, and 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 to compound this issue, they're going to start putting this widget up as you know people on the site that are looking for work, and. You know, the people who are using the widget are going to be searchable as people on the site that are open for commissions. So an average consumer is going to come along and not know how much to expect to pay for art and they're going to notice that nobody's charging more than $50. They're not going to know that that's because DeviantArt has set a limit. And my fear is that some of the people using the widget are actually going to be good. They're going to be just, you know, they're going to be genuinely skilled hobbyists who have no idea what to charge. And they will be, um, they will then be, you know, so undermining. Weird. They will be undermining professional artists in a very small but very real way. Mm-hmm. And you know, and in undermining it, them
7: themselves is they, if they yeah. were to become professional artists, because you get used to be, being paid that poorly.
4: Yeah, exactly. They're undermining themselves. They're undermining us. They're undermining the industry. And. You know, there is, this is just one little trowel in the many, in the giant um, army of shovels that is undermining us. And um, you know, I was I was thinking about I was thinking about it um, uh, on the day I noticed this. I was thinking back to the beginning of my own career, and when I first when I first really got into professional art, I was living in a much poorer area than I am now, and my monthly expenses were about three hundred dollars for rent and food, no joke. So, you know, I did sometimes charge like $50 for a commission. Um, One of my most popular pictures, in fact, on DeviantArt is called Fly Away. It's a digital painting of two budgies, which I did for $50 (laughs) before (laughs) I knew any better. And, you know, um, around that time, a much more experienced artist, whom I shall not name, but if he's listening, he knows who he is, he yelled at me and a bunch of my colleagues on epilogue.net for charging too little. And at the time we were all like, oh, bite us. We're charging the industry standard. We you know, we need to make money too. So go away. You're not a direct competition anyway. But you know, years have passed. Now we are his direct competition, but you know, our activities and the activities of people like us have done their undermining damage, and now the next generation of people is coming along and they're doing it too. (laughs) So this is not helping. This this is is a vicious circle.
3: Well, this is concerning to me. You know, when you look at a a site as popular as DeviantArt and as widely used.
4: They should not be getting behind the undervaluing of artists. Yeah,
3: my question mark to them is, what is their mission here? I mean, are are they a source of education? You know, it's clearly not. They're not teaching anybody how to how to conduct their business, because the people are going to be taking severe hits. If if you know, you got like you point you point the knock-on effects. Say this takes root, and it holds for another five or more years. You've got a whole you've got a little generation of kids coming out of college, who seem to think this is what they can expect, because this is where they were weaned. You know, art. This is where I showed my work for the first years of my budding career or before i got out of school
4: yeah i mean i got i got some people arguing with me saying things like uh, well you know this isn't for professional artists it's for hobbyists and it's for you know kids and you know so so what? Artists
5: post on deviant
4: art yes actually a lot of professional artists are on deviant art ralph horsley is on there i'm on there um jeremy's on there patrick's on there um there there's a lot of professional artists on there I mean, most of them are not going to be using this silly little widget. But the point is, consumers that come on DeviantArt and look through the people offering commissions are not going to know that these aren't professional artists. And they're going to get it into their head that that is what art costs. And, you know, even if it's only a very tiny little drop in the bucket of undermining, it's a real drop in the bucket and DeviantArt should not be behind this. Yeah. And, what cons- and what concerns me even more is apparently that they're um, working on something else which is supposed to match professional artists up with clients. And if they make it, you know, anywhere near as pig's ear of that as they have of this little innocuous widget, it's going to be an absolute disaster.
3: Well, the thing is, you, know, you described it as just a little trowel of, that mm-hmm. undermines. Right now, I, for me, it looks like a goblin sapper just strapped a bunch of dynamite to himself. And is running headlong <laughs> at us, you know? That's that's kind of what that's the image in my head when you describe to me what DeviantArt is doing with this widget.
4: The problem it's just a problem because they're such a large site and they have a lot of people on there that don't know what they're doing. And you know, people see, "Oh, no, there's are just commission widget and, you know, I can charge I can charge um, I can charge $50." People might think start thinking that you know, people right out of art school or still in art school might think that $50 is an acceptable rate. It is not.
3: <laughs> oh God.
4: <laughs> it is not.
3: Well, I, I used to think, think th- that I could be, you know, if I did enough work at that at the lower rates, then I'd be able to afford a living. N- no. Yeah, there's that's not what enough, I thought, There's too. not enough hours in the day.
4: I used to think that too. I, I would. I thought in the beginning, you know, I I will I'll, I'll sort of pay my dues. I'll I'll um do the lower price stuff till I get my name out there. But when you do all that lower price stuff, you get your name out there for doing lower lower price stuff. So what keeps coming in is lower price stuff. And you know, I have actually seen rates come down to match what people are willing to work for. Like at a couple of different companies I work for, one of them, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about, we've all worked for them. And they used to um, pay on publication. not gonna name names, but I'm sure you know who I mean. their rates have come down on cards for their card games to match what people on the lower end would work for, and you know gradually the rates in the upper end came down a bit too. And I've seen this—I've seen this happen at more than one company that I've done work for. Rates have come down to, to, to match what people will put up with, and you know I can't help but feel a little bit responsible because I was one of the people that was working for lower rates back at the beginning. And I didn't need to be. I'm not saying that, you know, my art was as as great as somebody at the top of the pyramid and I could charge as much as them, but I could have charged a much better rate than I did. And I should should not have thought, well, a living wage for me is $300 a month. It's kind of a, a very small and narrow way to look at it you're not looking at the overall health of the industry you're hoping to work in for the rest of your life when yeah, you do something like it's, that It's
3: hard it's hard to realize you should be charging at least a median you know to, to accept a median income at least a median income for what you're doing Yeah I mean you,
4: you need to be charging a living wage and if your work is not if people won't buy your art if it gets you a living wage you're not ready
5: Well um, uh, I mean, They should be, you know, they should be legally responsible to pay minimum wage.
4: They're not. No, no, no. That's that's actually not the case because we're independent contractors, not employees. So they're
5: not. I I know, but still, that that should still be held to the same. I mean, it's still employment. Um, So, you know, I mean, and and to me, that's that's a that's a lack of employment regulations and employment laws. Um, uh, even contractors in at least in Washington State um, and specifically Seattle, um, uh, you know, I, I guess it also depends on how many hours you're contracted to work. Um, mm. uh, contractors, I guess, that work it's either 30 or 40 hours a week um, are um, legally um, uh, allowed to take six 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 days of sick day six days of sick leave a year. Um, wow! If, I did
4: not know that.
5: Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, I don't know. Yeah, but I, I, I do know. That, I mean, that there are no laws governing it, but there should be laws governing it. I mean, it's you're you're essentially you're essentially running a sweatshop, which I accused someone of many years ago.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, was a, a, it was a done very that a couple you know. of times too.
5: <laughs> yeah. Well, I was I was working for a, a particular company, um, and you know, earning, was it, um, uh, crap, I can't remember what I was earning. No, it was yeah. insufficient. Yeah, it was, it was less than what you would earn working at McDonald's. Um, and the company was doing very well, other people were being employed and paid very well. There was no reason I shouldn't have been earning a certain amount. Um, but I was also living in an area where minimum wage, <clears throat> the South, uh, is um, you know pathetically small oh ah, so,
4: yeah that's right it's different per state isn't it
5: yeah here it's $9.40 an hour is minimum wage in washington
4: yeah i think it just went up to 10 25 or something i don't oh, know it, canada, yeah yeah we used to have um, in, in bc I, i'm not sure if we still do but we used to have the lowest minimum wage in canada and i'm Absolutely. not sure if that i'm not sure if that includes the territories or just the provinces but if it does include the territories, that's pretty sad.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, when I was a waiter for a number of years, it was, uh, I believe, at that time, the minimum wage for for restaurant staff was two thirty eight an hour.
5: No, oh, yeah. it's you're still like that a- in two. some states. Yeah. If you if you're working um, as a uh, as a server, um, when I came to the states, uh, my partner um, was working as a server in, in Atlanta and um he got um yeah it was like a buckle to an hour because they expect that you're pulling in money from from tips
3: yeah yeah Uh, i never understood that principle
6: but i couldn't
4: i couldn't work like that i mean if somebody um if if i was working for a dollar or two an hour and somebody didn't tip me i would i don't think i could keep my temper i i would I'd probably like smash a piece of apple cake in their face.
3: Oh, I, 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 I had the occasion where I'd have a party of like seventeen people, and not a, one of them could
5: remember to leave a tip.
4: Oh my God! Well, that's why you
5: have um, uh, forced gratuity now. Oh yeah. Well, not where I was working. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and and people 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 will take so much advantage of minimum wage workers in any in any profession. And you know, artists, we just we just don't need any more of that. We've we've really put up with put up with a great deal, and some of it we've brought in our own heads. But you know, we if we brought it on our own heads, um, you know, it, it's also up to us to speak out when we see somebody else making a mess like deviant art is doing, and uh, um, ex- uh, expl- explaining to them. this is not a good idea and also um, I I just wanted to add one other thing because I noticed a lot of people in the comments um, uh, on that post um, who don't seem to understand how income tax works um, because they were comparing deviant arts 20% to income tax (laughs) and I I just want to say to those people um, you do realize you still have to pay actual income tax on that, don't you? Oh, they
5: think it's like a sales tax or something?
4: <laughs> um, but they they were just compared they were no, they don't actually think it's a tax. They're just saying um that they don't they're saying that well, the, the reasoning seemed to be very um convoluted. It seemed to be well, they don't have to pay income tax on the commissions because it's not part of their regular job. <laughs> and, <laughs> so, so um, they, they consider the 20% as deviant art taking the equivalent of income tax but um, uh, these people uh, just for anyone who doesn't realize this or who's doing art part time you do realize that you have to add the income you made from art to whatever other income you made and then you pay mm. income tax on the entire amount your yeah. commissions yeah. are not gravy on top you no. have to pay income tax on that
5: Heck, I the, only, my the cash only difference is if, if uh, it's actually if uh, you're making under $600 a year on that um, particular um, under, thing. Under,
4: okay. So um,
5: it, but it's not based on project. It's based on, um, I believe it's based on industry. So, um, if you're if you're doing odd ob- jobs around the neighborhood and you're, you know, say for example you're mowing lawns, um, you're doing essentially landscaping, and you make more than $600 a year doing that, even though you maybe like. You know, plant doing, you know, planting plants and then mowing the lawns at the same time. You are, um, by law, you have to pay tax on that. But if it's under $600, you don't.
4: Okay, uh, so so it's a bit different in the. Uh, I'm not sure how it works exactly in in the USA, and but in Canada, and, I'm pretty sure you have to pay um, income tax on your entire income. And
5: that's probably yeah. right. Yeah. A, but, uh, sorry, it? here? It's, that- it's classed as a hobby. If if it's under $600, it's classed as a hobby. There's a okay, similar yeah. threshold for
3: companies that have to issue 1099s to uh, freelancers. Yeah. If you yeah. do okay. $600 or more in service for for any if a, if a publisher uses you for $600 or more dollars in a given year, then they have yeah. to issue you a 1099. That just basically declares any income they sent your way. Yeah. you away. Know, yeah. And sometimes there'll be publishers who kind of oops <laughs> on that <laughs> thing. I've I've had that happen, but uh, as long as you just keep track of what you're t- what you're bringing in.
4: Yeah, but you know, if you're doing if you're doing a fair amount of commissions, the odds of you making under six hundred dollars is uh, quite remote. So, um, yeah. I
3: don't know. I've had some pretty lean years.
4: <laughs> that would be that would be a hell of a.
6: But you um, know,
4: I, although I used to know a guy who uh, said he was a writer, mm-hmm. um, but um, he had actually made like he he made um, a. I, I remember looking at. I remember he was telling me about when he'd been doing his income taxes, and he had made like two hundred dollars in the entire year from writing. Uh, he made eleven thousand from temp jobs, and his parents were giving him the rest. So, uh, uh, yeah. And this and this guy was saying he was a writer, so that was kind of sad. Man,
3: I gotta get them, I gotta get temp jobs.
4: Temp jobs. Yeah. <laughs> temp jobs.
3: Damn. <laughs> 11000 <laughs> a
6: year?
4: <laughs> well, if $11,000 a year isn't enough to live on, you do realize that, don't you?
3: What I earn per year isn't enough to live on.
4: <laughs> that has to be kind of worrying for you.
3: It is. It has been a, a, a source of vexation for me.
4: Well, you're about to be a father.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I know.
4: <laughs> you're going to be like... You're gonna, you and your wife are going to be like starving to death just so your child can have food and you're gonna be like these skinny skinny string bean people i'll
3: start eating my paint
4: i'll
6: oh hoard it God. too
3: my i won't let my wife and kids have it either no no no, no. burn <laughs> sienna is much too good for you
4: <laughs> oh i I really hope that uh, the new jobs that you've got will um sort of blossom into lots more for I you hope so
3: I, otherwise, burnt Sienna on shoe leather will have to become a very popular uh, dinner time choice
4: well, you know you can eat you can eat well for quite cheaply depending on where you live and what you've got near your place.
6: Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm.
4: you can get some you can get some really nice stuff for not too much money if do you have a farmer's market near you? um not that i am aware of okay um but anyway
3: well,
4: <laughs> sorry I, just, I don't know why am i trying to figure out your finances
3: <laughs> let us examine jeremy's poverty
6: <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh well it well you know I'm, I'm in a moment of poverty as well i'm kind of um i, I had um all my recent assignments have been kind of weird um I'm waiting for payment for two of them because they're payment on publication mm-hmm. and um, another one um, I just got paid so um, I, I only have a little money so you know I'm in one of those moments where you're anxiously awaiting your checks
6: oh
3: yeah I'm kind <laughs> so of the I've, same way
4: I've been thinking of um, trying to um, sell some smaller pictures just on eBay and see if I can get a decent rate for them um, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I should do that or not. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, I just, I set up a, um, well, this is kind of fun. I set up a a store on my website using uh, Store Envy. Anyone ever used that before?
4: No. How does it work? Is it good?
3: It's good. I, I, I like it. I like it. It's um. I, I, what was the uh, name again? Store Envy.
4: Okay. How does it work?
3: It's a, it's a free, it's a store hosting. Site, you know, they it's uh, they take I believe they take a small percentage of sale, and you can list as many items as you like. Um, Mm -hmm. You can integrate it with your website, which I have.
4: So it doesn't like stand out as ugly. No,
3: no, it's actually pretty tasteful design. I can even link it to my Facebook page.
4: Oh, that's really cool.
3: So if you go to my Facebook page, you'll see there's a store link, and that that goes right into my store Envy.
4: Let me let me hang on. Does it, does there a link to it on your website as well? Oh yeah. Okay, the sales McQ's, page on
3: my website is a store envy.
4: It's envy. dot com, right? Mhm. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at this because I don't have any buy it now buttons on my website, and my sales have really suffered since I stopped having them. Mhm.
3: You can link so, it. It's so easy to maintain, and it links up. You know, you can link it to PayPal and the whole nine yards.
4: Is it under art for sale? Can, that, can people pay like with interact e-transfers? Because those are so much better than PayPal. I've so never used
3: that before. I, 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 but I don't do that many sales. I mean, I, I haven't sold anything since I launched my store. But I have. I'm only just now starting to promote you haven't it. Have you sold
4: anything? No. Wow. You should. Yeah. You should. Everybody go to mchu.studios.com. There's a, <laughs> there's a huge page full of stuff that's for sale, and some of it here is looking really good. Um, there's a, there's a couple of pieces that we've talked about in the show here, I think, and yeah, you guys can own a little piece of history, dude. There you go. And
3: but those was,
4: prices are so reasonable.
3: I, I tried. Yeah, I was chatting with, um, actually, I was chatting with Jane Frank um, at IlluxCon and she's a, she's somebody that uh, well, I don't know if um, I believe it's called Worlds of Wonder. She's a art dealer. And I asked her a little bit for some advice on my pricing. And she, she suggested I lower my pricing and to be more in line with what she thinks the, the market would bear. And I've done so. You know, I think she has, uh, she has some good insight. We had an interview with her uh, a couple of years back um, on a previous IlixCon special.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: But uh, no, she's, uh, she was very helpful to me. Well, you mean, know, well, you
4: know, you know what else I found that has really that's really boosted my sales lately. Um, if you, whenever you finish a new piece, you post it on Facebook, and sometimes people ask you if they can buy it, and then they do.
3: Ah, uh, yeah, no, I haven't. Uh, I haven't gotten any nibbles.
4: Okay, well, do you, do you, do you put oh, I... underneath them that they're for sale.
3: Oh well, I on my. Um...
4: You should put the price right there when you post your new art on Facebook. You should put like. Picture of a dude with a hair that looks like owl horns, fifty bucks.
6: Well,
3: there you go. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah, you here's know, the other thing. It's kind of that fine line, you know, when you're trying. I started that that art page, and I'm always I'm cautious that I don't want to um, turn every visit to my site a into a sales pitch. But it occurs to me that's part of what's for, isn't it?
4: <laughs> yeah, that uh, is a large part of what it's for. I mean, you 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 have to get you have to get paid. You um, you need to uh, you know, make lots and lots of money and uh, move to a larger house and get a big car and. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I I don't know what it is you dream you about, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you want to have money, but I'm a um, big
3: fan of eating. Oh boy, do I oh, like to eat.
4: Me too. I'm keeping the
3: rain off my head. I, I really like a nice dry. Head, top of my head, it's it's really good.
4: <laughs> like a nice dry top of your head, okay. Oh, well I... that is that is quite an ambition, Jeremy. I hope one day you. Achieve. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, but you the thing that's the thing with freelancing. You you never know from month to month how it's going to go. Sometimes you have a month where you're so busy, and it's crazy, and the money is rolling in, and then you have a month where it's like, oh, I have this little assignment and. I'm waiting to get paid for that. and uh, Oh, yeah. What else am I getting? Nothing. Ah!
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's the... Trying to make... I'm trying to make my income less cyclical, which is, yeah. you know, I want it to be a bit more... I don't... It doesn't have to be earth-shaking. It just needs to be steady.
4: That's why I'm yeah. thinking I might try and uh, do in-between work. I might try to do a lot of smaller pictures, like six inches by six inches to eight inches by eight inches. And... um Put them for sale for lower prices, like between fifty and one hundred and fifty, depending on how much detail they have yeah and well, that's um, kind of
3: the function that I'm trying to have my watercolors serve the watercolor sketches I do I make yeah. them available. It helps to maybe it will pay for some time in the studio each day if I have my way, you know yeah, but uh, this whole I, but you know with this whole deviant art thing it's I hope folks will uh talk
6: about this <laughs> on deviantart so
4: because well they have been to be fair the, the, the majority of comments i saw on the pages about this widget were overwhelmingly negative people were furious a few people were sort of standing up for it but they seemed to be amateurs uh, or children
6: <laughs>
4: but you know you know um, i can't help but think back to the days when i thought oh yeah spending 40 hours doing a portrait of somebody's pet for 50 dollars is totally cool because that pays that pays like a quarter of my rent right there That you know <laughs>
3: <laughs> back in the day <laughs> back
4: in the day when rent was 200 dollars <laughs> And then, um, you know, I I moved to, it was really a a huge shock when I moved to Canada and my rent became $1,000 and I discovered that what had once been a very comfortable living from undercharging was suddenly barely or not even a living wage. It was like, it was a big shock to to move to such an expensive city.
3: I've started to become bit by bit. Um, I, th- I think when you have a, a kid on the way, it makes you it certainly will embolden you, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I've become somewhat bolder about asking for better rates from the people I work with. So, and yeah. it's paid off here and there. So I, I I'm, I'm, I'm basically, I, I, as often as not, I find myself shocked that I can do mm-hmm.
4: that. Yeah. But, but you can, you can, and you know, I think it's time that more of us started doing that. I think it's the time more of us used that um, you know, that freelance rate calculator we passed around on a show a while ago. Mm-hmm. It's, more, it's time that more of us took into account what we're paying for office space, what we're paying for materials, what we're paying for rent since we work from home, what we're paying for. you know, Anything that we take into account on our income taxes, why aren't we taking it into account when we calculate our rates? We should be, and now I am. <laughs> we all should be. And, you know, we should all be trying to breathe some new life and, and vigor into the industry that we are all part of and that we all want to continue prosperously so that we can continue to have dry noggins. <laughs> <laughs> and full bellies. <laughs> full bellies. And, you, know, you know, I mean, deviant art, you know, it... it i i am so annoyed because it has such a potential to be a really good thing for artists because i think it's currently the biggest art site on the internet it has so much art on there and you know there is you know in among the furries and the bad amateur porn there is actually a lot of really nice stuff um you know i've found a lot of incredible artists on there um, and i've made friends with and um you know, I've seen some absolutely gorgeous work, and you know they have they have all these really great artists networking together and uh, meeting up and stuff. And they have this wonderful customer base, really that um, that they could be um, they could be doing so much to be helpful to mm-hmm. to us, and and you know we'd probably be willing to pay a premium for that. Um, you know, if they were actually doing something helpful. And, <laughs> but, and yet, here they go undermining us. And, um, you know, art, even now, it's been the source of a lot of the most lowball offers that I've had from people, even before the widget. And I, I suspect that once the widget comes and, and, you know, people that are buyers and not artists see these really little rates on the widget, they're gonna think that, you know, the rates of other artists might be in line with that. I mean I have people offer me eight dollars and ninety five cents, I think. Um whatever the cost of one month's subscription is. <laughs> I had somebody offer me that. Offer me a, a month's subscription for a, a a custom tattoo design.
3: How often do you go how often do you guys go to a site like RPG Net and basically just put your head in your hand and weep openly at the offers that are being made there?
4: I try to avoid it.
3: <laughs> Just curious, you know. I
4: try not, I try not to look. <laughs> I, I sometimes look at the job postings there and you know, I've got a couple of I've got a couple of really nice clients off of RPG net. It's not as bad as Steven R mm-hmm. there are some really low ball offers on there, but I think um I think there's becoming less and less excuse for that to be honest. Yeah. Because we are in the age of crowdfunding. You can go on Kickstarter, you don't need to use artist as your personal credit line anymore. Yeah. If your idea is good and you take it to Kickstarter or Indiegogo or whatever, you can get enough money to pay your artist a fair wage and print up your thingy, um, print up your book and put it out there. And if you don't get the crowdfunding you were looking for, it could very well mean that the audience is not there for it and you wouldn't have made any sales anyway. So you need to go back to the drawing board, start again, find something people do want to pay for, and then pay your artists a fair rate. There's just less and less and less excuse for this, oh, can I pay you $15 for a quarter page nonsense that is going on at the moment.
3: How much do you, when you see things, when you see these kinds of lowball orders, oh, well, I think we lost somebody.
4: Did Who did we lose?
3: We lost Kieran. Oh, no. But uh, let's see if I, he might be back in a moment. He might be back in a second. But as I was saying, um, one of the things, when you when you see these types of lowball offers, how much of that do you feel, and I, I would think the lion's share of it, is simply ignorance in those offers. And I don't know if it's bad. I don't think it's necessarily um, bad well, behavior or bad actors per se. I think as much no, as... It's it's it's
6: not
4: it's not malicious, I don't think. And I think maybe probably 80%, 80% of cases it's not malicious. Um, I, I think that people, for the most part, who are either offering art for low ball prices or um, or, or, um, off, or um, commissioning art for low ball prices, I think they don't understand that what they are doing is not just affecting the particular artist they hire or the particular, or, you know, in the case of the artists themselves, but it is having a detrimental effect, you know, one tiny drip at a time on everybody. Yeah. And and their own futures, it really really is. I I mean I know it, it. I know that when you're just starting out and it might be a little difficult to get jobs, it may seem that it's worth it to take some of these lowball offers to get your um your your name out there. But I promise you, it's better if you don't. It really really is. I, I honestly it, it is. When I mean, when I look back to early in my career. You know, in the same month, sometimes I'd be doing one page for three hundred dollars for one company, for grayscale, and then for somebody else, I'd be doing a page for fifty dollars. Why did I even take a fifty-dollar one? Mm-hmm. I mean, why, why would I, why would I, why would I compromise that way? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I saw I could maybe I saw you know oh the hair, that's you know the three hundred dollar one paid my rent and my food for the month so I take the fifty one I buy a computer game, um, and you know it seemed like gravy to me but looking yeah, I back tell on it that, I I
7: tell people starting out that they're better off putting that time into the portfolio that will get them the jobs they actually want because they'll. No other publishing company is going to care that you did $50 interiors. That's not going to impress them. That's not going to look good.
4: That no, it isn't. Uh, oh
7: yeah, man. What you need to do is focus on your portfolio. But doing, doing those RPG interiors nearly made me quit doing art entirely. It was soul crushing. <laughs>
6: I've,
7: I've, I've looked through some of my, uh,
3: some of my earliest work um, in RPGs and the black and white interiors that I used to do quite a lot of. And it struck me, you know, how rather poor some of that work truly was. <laughs> and that there
4: might, there might indeed have been better uses of your time.
3: Well, you know, it's just. Um,
4: oh yeah, I, I'm the same. Just, it I was at...
3: skill level for me. I think it was much about skill level and the type of deadline I had. And
4: yeah, I mean, I look at some of my early work in that industry, and I think to myself. You know, I should have realized that I could not pull that off in, you know, whatever limited time I had. And I should have said no to that. That cannot, that can only have hurt, (laughs) you know. I mean, at the time, you know, it was, it was what somebody wanted. And, you know, it was, it was... And and that's another reason that I should not have been undercharging even if it wasn't, you know, the most brilliant artwork in the world, it was exactly what somebody wanted. And you know, people should be willing to pay to get exactly what they want. <laughs> 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 I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, you know, Joe Blow beginner should be instantly commanding the rates of a 15, 20, 40-year veteran in the field because that is ridiculous, but they should, be, they should be able to Go to that little freelance rate calculator Figure out what they actually need to charge To support themselves And they should not be Accepting any lower Because when they do It hurts themselves and it hurts everyone else I just wish I'd known all this I, I really do
7: <laughs> I have finally for the last week and a half Been tracking how much time It actually takes me to do a painting I've had a a 15 minute planner that I've been writing down what I've done and it took me an hour to mount the panel, mount the paper on the panel and it took me this long this day and this long this day and this long this day. So I'll actually have good numbers for those sorts of things. Huh. Yeah, I just, I've known I just, for years I should have done that.
4: I just, <laughs> I just, I just, I, I just time it in 8 hour blocks because that's my usual work day is 8 hours. So you know if I, if, if it took me 4 days to finish the painting then I know how many hours that was with eight hour blocks and I can say okay I know how much I should have charged for that but I, you know I don't know individually how long it takes me to sketch something how long it takes me to refine the sketch and uh, scan it and clean it up and transfer it to a good piece of paper and I don't know how much time it takes me to cut the piece of paper and yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how long it takes me to do all those little things, but probably it's it's quite a bunch of time when I think about it.
3: Just getting ready to paint.
4: Getting ready to paint. Oh, like what to put on Prepping your smock?
3: board and paper and stretching and all that sort of thing. Yeah.
4: Oh yeah, yeah. I sort of, I sort of count the stretching and everything as 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 part of the painting process. Like, uh, I
3: put a lot of. You know, I I'm also becoming much more aware of. How many hours I have to put into something to make it look decent and to represent me well and to work for the product I'm working, you know, that I do artwork for, and Mm -hmm. it definitely adds up very quickly.
4: It does. It does. The number of
3: hours I have to spend.
4: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's not what we do. It does it does take time, because you know, there's no there's no substitute for um, you know if, if if you um there's no substitute for good planning and good planning takes time. And you know, depending on your medium, you know, there's, uh, there's some techniques that there's just nothing else you can do to save time there. Like if you're, if you're drawing with pen and ink and you're going to draw a detailed texture, there is no way to do that where you can do it and cut the time in half. You could use, I guess, you could use um, a pre-made, uh, you know, screen tone. You know, those things that you uh, mm-hmm. cut into shape. Sure. You could use that, but if you want to actually draw the texture, to have it look good and consistent through the whole texture, you have to take your time and you have to do it right. And there's no, there's no substitute for that. And you can get a bit faster with time, but you know, there's some things that you you have to take your time on, and you can't just you can't just zoom through it and the it shows in the finished product that you that you took your time and did a good job so you should you should definitely um sort of ac- account for that account for how long it takes us to do what we do and how much we need to get paid for that i mean you know we can't we can't charge a client double if we spill ink or um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or accidentally pull a palette knife through our canvas
3: I had to buy a second <laughs> tube of cadmium red, dear publisher.
4: Yeah, Pay up. Like, artist error is on our heads, but, um, you know, reasonable, reasonable expenses should not be on our heads, you know. You can't in... Um, it surprised me, in fact, when I sat down to do the um, the freelance rate calculator thing and see exactly what I should be charging, because it never occurred to me that... Just doing one picture, just drawing one reasonably sized picture, it could cost me 30 or $40 in materials. I mean, you don't think um, a piece of paper and a pen is going to be that expensive, but a piece of paper is not as cheap as you'd think. And it could take me, um, you know, nibs don't last forever. It could I could go through 20 or 30 nibs in a large picture, and... Um, you know that 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 costs money too, and the ink costs money,
6: mm-hmm.
4: and you know, yeah, and, and you know the ink doesn't last forever. It looks like <laughs> it, it looks it looks like it will because you're just dipping it in and bringing your brush out with or your your nib out with just a tiny bit of ink, like a little film of ink on it. But all those, but when you think about how many dips you put in while you're drawing, that that doesn't end up using a fair bit of ink, and, and you know when you finish your when you finish your drawing you've Gone through 20, 30, 40 dollars worth of supplies.
3: Oh, yeah. I I just completed something. I did a project that I just wrapped up and I did it for love. Oh, and <laughs> I find that um, <laughs> at the end, there was not much love left. There was just <laughs> not enough love at the end, you know. It's, <laughs> it, it was, and it's not the fault of any one person but myself. And, I, and I'm glad I did the project, but. I took the project on at a different I've had this past year has been a
1: huge
3: transition, a lot of mm-hmm. changes in my life. And this project took, I took the project on just prior to all that to going down.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: So the person I am <laughs> it was fundamentally different than <laughs> Is the. That like,
7: Screw you, past Jeremy. Exactly. <laughs> so, but yeah. you know, I, I
3: had to finish the project, it had been languishing. And it was something I had, I had taken on. It was a freebie that I was doing for the friend. And it's one thing when you, when you have a different set of circumstances, but when things changed so rapidly, I still found myself, well, I still committed to do it. So I, you know, I, I, wrapped, I finished it. And I think what's come down to for me is I have to be a lot more, um, a lot more mercenary yeah. <laughs> about how I spend my time from here on hmm. because let's face it at this point it's no longer just me spending a few of my few hours of my spare time. Well I'm gonna be a father. There that does not exist. <laughs> you know, I can't uh, uh, I, I have to make suspect
4: you don't know the half of it. What's that? <laughs> I suspect you don't know the half of it. Oh no,
3: I I have a pretty fair idea. I'm an uncle of six and I'm and I'm a sibling, so I mean I've I know what my parents had to do for us.
4: Oh, and you were a twin as well. You're yeah, lucky yeah. that you're not having. You're lucky you're not having twins, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you are. You're gonna be in your studio with a baby strapped to your back oh, guess I'm gonna have
3: like a little baby Bjorn strapped to my chest while I'm painting. Get your little head out of my way. <laughs>
4: get... I, I don't think you. Can, I think you can get. A, you can get a little backpack so that it won't be on your chest.
3: Oh yeah, I can. I can put them on my back like Yoda.
4: Yeah, you can. You seriously? wheels this... and stuff. No, you can't. You can't do any cartwheels with it on your back. It yeah. you, you get these little backpacks and you put your baby in it, and it, the the baby likes it because it's up high, oh, yeah. and it's kind of bouncing, and it, so the, your baby is happy, and then you can get some work done. <laughs>
7: <laughs> but the, I generally just use the football carry myself.
4: Nice. What's that?
7: Just holding it against your chest with
6: your your
4: oh. arm.
7: Have you
3: ever told your wife to you know go to the other side of the kitchen? You know go along. And you make the, you make the throw for.
4: Wait, you, know? you do that? You do that while you're working? You, you hold a baby and you're working? I have, yeah. Oh, we, you guys are you guys are very accomplished. And
6: both, <laughs> I, need,
4: I need both hands to get anything done.
3: <laughs> so you know, if you now you know why Drew is so jacked, why he's so built, because he'll be like one, he'll I be can... one-handing one little kid while he's painting the whole time.
4: I don't even know how. With
3: two others is it.
7: climbing on your back. That's, That's right, man. Trick. That's when it gets really tricky.
4: He Drew's got the sure.
3: thickest neck. If
7: you've never met Drew, <laughs> he's just got the thickest
3: neck. I mean, the man could. Does uh, he
4: you know really? It. No. He does so much work. He does. He does. All, he goes to all these conventions. He does all these paintings that he, he just delivers at breakneck speed. And then, and then he prints stuff for other people. Where are all these hours in the day? And he has, like, a million children.
3: Well, that's because no one really knows this, but I'm prepared to spill the beans today. Drew is actually a Time Lord.
4: Ah. Yeah.
3: He has a police call box just outside his apartment.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, now things are starting to fall into place. So he just freezes time, and, mm-hmm. and then he, and then he you know, gets all his work done, and then he lets time start again.
6: That's my
7: okay. theory. Yeah. Yeah. I try not to do it so quickly that people get suspicious, but there <laughs> is that one payphone still on the block. And somebody <laughs> but, yeah, uh,
3: you know, so I guess the point I'm coming to is I have to, I'm I've, I've starting to align my priorities a bit more with the fact that I'm going to be providing. It's not just my wife and I where we can just gut out something or. We can we can weather a little bit of nervousness over whether or not we're going to pay this bill or that, but thankfully we've never been in default on anything. We've Plus, always, you,
4: know, you know, when your kid gets a bit older, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're if you're sort of middle income or or you're poor, you know, the temptation is to um, you know when you buy your kid something that they've been begging for for ages. The, the temptation is to buy them the sort of crappy off-brand version of it
3: like at <laughs> lasts I had, 30 minutes
4: <laughs> like i had them um, i had a blue plastic skateboard with yellow with yellow wheels which it had you know how skateboards usually kind of they're made of that sort of bendy material mm-hmm. this one was just thick plastic rigid as
6: any. <laughs> oh yeah
4: it did not go and then i had the um, off-brand pogo ball where the little, where the ball part popped out of it within twenty minutes. <laughs> and again, the ball was really stiff, so it didn't really bounce to begin with. <laughs> so what are you
3: saying that my little man is going to want things?
4: <laughs> yeah. When your little man wants things, for the love of all that's holy, don't get the thing that'll get him bullied.
3: <laughs> well, I already plan on giving him a very manly name.
4: Yeah, call him like um um. Horace, or um, like, that's not that manly. Is no, it? no, that'll get him beat up.
3: That'll get him beat up.
4: Hercules.
3: Hercules.
4: Tony. Yeah, give him give him an Italian name, then people might think you know he might be connected.
3: You know, I learned uh, I learned my father's middle name not long, uh, maybe a year before he passed, and I wouldn't I. He he swore that I he he basically bound me to secrecy not to share it with the, with people.
4: And now you're going to share it with the entire well, world. <laughs> after
3: my after my father passed, um, I had, I went to each of my siblings and in order to cheer cheer them up about what I'd, what we'd all just gone through, I uh, told them the story about mm-hmm. um, how I learned his middle name, and uh, as it turned out, it means uh, honored warrior. But it's easily that you, Aloysius.
4: Oh, right. That, that used to be a fairly popular name. That was name, a popular
3: but... name back in its day. My father hated that name with a passion. <laughs> he hated it. You never, he, you, he always had that one letter in his middle name. That, you know, there was always that one middle initial that he never explained. What it <laughs> was.
4: You know? that, is, that is funny.
3: Oh, I brought instant smiles to each of my siblings in turn.
4: Oh, well, that's very nice.
3: You know, and my bro- my older brother brought it up at his memorial service.
4: <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> so if there, if there are ghosts after we die and his ghost was hanging there, he was probably, like, hanging there in the air, shaking his fist at all of oh, you. Oh, no,
3: if so, he probably did it with a smile on his face. He had a good sense of humor.
4: That's good. But, yeah, yeah he was probably still giving you the finger. I would definitely... Oh, possibly. Have- <laughs> my ghost should have been there, sitting there, like kicking you in the head, because you can't feel it, because I'm a ghost. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Man, something brushed my hair. One second. Oh, well, I'm all better now. But, well, uh, you know that. That aside, you know, we had a. Uh, this is that's a good thing we got Drew here actually, because uh, I did have a listener question, and I think uh, it bears.
7: Was there a question? Where has Drew gone? Yeah, (laughs) that's about the only thing I'm qualified to answer. Oh no, this was a question from listener Jacob
3: Walker, who wrote to me on Facebook. He uh, his question was if he if we had any advice on getting your getting one's first art table, artist table when not particularly well established. uh, He's thinking of getting a booth at Origins, for instance, Mm -hmm. and uh, if we had any advice to share, on. I guess the, end, the pitfalls, the ins and outs. We've talked a little bit about this in the past,
7: I think. Yeah. Well, and, and my first bit of advice is something I know he's done, is I went to shows first before mm-hmm. I got a table. Sure. Uh, so I know he's had a chance to see. I, I tried to pay attention to how some people were setting up, and what I thought worked, what I thought didn't, mm-hmm. and how I thought I could improve on what I'd seen. And then once I got my setup, I didn't change anything. It's been 12 years I've <laughs> it. But but that was something I did. The the trickiest part, I guess, for me, the thing I didn't understand was that the shows have have part the sections on their website about getting a sh- getting a table, and then you need to plan early for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. go to Origins website and see what they say to do for the art show.
4: Um, I'd also say maybe share a table the first time so that if you don't sell anything, you're not out so much money.
3: Well, shows that allow you to do that, I suppose. That's not a bad piece of advice. Um it's hard to do that. Certain shows frown on it or don't simply don't allow it to happen. But mm-hmm.
7: um well yeah, certainly. Or maybe if you and have I did my, my first show was Origins uh, a bunch of years ago and I did share a table. Cool. Who'd you share it with? My friend Tom Golombos. Tom Galambos. yep That's an
4: interesting name. Yes, it is. It's
7: Hungarian, I think.
4: Oh, yes, cool. it is
7: Hungarian. Um, and he,
4: we we I I think we had a couple of listener questions on the forums as well, by the way, Jeremy.
3: Oh, we did, did we? Okay, yeah. I'll go over there because I haven't. Uh...
4: Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Drew. I but just continue. wanted to say that before I forgot.
7: No, that's fine. I, I, I wasn't you? sure what to say about Tom anyway. He does comics. He's uh, a few years back. He, his graphic novel was one of Time Magazine's most important of the year, or something like that.
4: Ooh, that's awesome! Yeah. yeah, way to go, him.
3: My, uh, I think my, uh, my bit of advice would be to, um, I think, be fairly conservative in your your print estimates. <laughs> I mean, prints you should uh, you you're going to bring prints are rather po- are a popular purchase at conventions, and I've I've, I've made many, I'm... but
7: price them higher than most people do.
3: Yes, and don't be afraid to pay some higher. Drew Drew has corrected me on my pricing philosophy for prints, and uh, I I don't think it steered me wrong. It's um, I think if anything, I think it's a good idea to have small purchases available at a show for people of every particular budget. I've I make I've occasionally made the mistake of not having money many prints, if any at all, when I do shows. Uh, I would rely upon those few rare sales of original pieces. But there are plenty of artists who make considerable sums just from prints alone. So I would say... So you you can hear me, there are two ways to think about this, I suppose. And One is saying, be very uh, cautious of how many prints you are, and the other side is saying, make sure you bring some because (laughs) they (laughs) they are saleable. But... uh, Yeah, anything you can do. Plus, I suppose anything you can do to keep your costs down, whether that be sharing uh, hotel space, uh, sharing table space, as suggested. Um, Maybe if you worked with the publisher, that'd be amenable to you joining them at their table, offering you a little bit of space. I've done that before too, and it's that can be fun. Um, Things of that
7: sort. But. Wow. And, Was any of that useful? Was that what you were looking for, Jacob Walker? We hope. Uh, <laughs> I know that the, the, another rule of thumb is that you want to do a show. Of
3: honest. Oftentimes, they they suggest you do a show more than obviously more than once. Uh, it may be that some people argue that it takes upwards of five times to be at a show before you really become a, a face that people equate with that show, and it can it apparently
7: helps uh, with future sales. But uh, have
3: you found that to be true at all, Drew?
7: Or uh, I don't know. I haven't done other shows more than three times. I've really only done Gen Con a bunch of times.
6: Mm-hmm. Uh,
7: I was this uh, past autumn would have been my third Dragon Con, but I didn't get my paperwork in on time.
3: Oh, so. okay. It wasn't a matter of simply of choosing not to go. It was just a matter of not being able to.
7: Um, not. I don't know. It I don't was. Know. I don't remember. It was April when I didn't get my. My paperwork in in oh. whatever September thing it was. I was distracted by some other things going on. I'm sure. Man, you're really tapering off in your volume. Oh, I'm sorry. I was I was doing my best, John Hodgson there. Oh.
6: <laughs>
7: <laughs> I joke. I was just you know Eric
3: Lofgren does that too. If, if folks have ever noticed, he'll um he'll he'll start off strong and then things start kind to of start to taper off and then you can't hear what he's saying.
7: <laughs> so it was April when I was supposed to submit and I forgot For Oh, okay I don't remember.
3: but yeah the, so there's that rule there's a little uh informal rule of thumb that I've heard and that is be prepared to do a show more than once in order to uh get um a bit of FaceTime with fans so people come to associate you with that show and they'll they'll come
7: prepared hopefully yeah, but the, but let me let me jump in follow in with that so sure. that was. April was when I needed to do the paperwork for a show on Labor Day weekend, and the first weekend of September, so it can take planning ahead, especially for a bigger show like Dragon Con. Oh, certainly. Uh, you can be, I have in the past been surprised at how uh, quickly, how early shows get organized, so that's something definitely to watch for. If you know <clears throat> which show you want to go to, plan ahead, get, get started, don't dawdle. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think, you know, shows
3: are a great deal of fun. You can, I've, I've met some of my current employers through attending shows. And uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of good that can be, you know, had from them. And I say, it sounds like he's done some of his own due diligence by attending Gen Con. And mm-hmm. um, doing shows can be very beneficial. You just got to be smart about it. Um, I know some folks. It's very easy to get sucked into. Oh, I need a trade show booth, and I need all this, exp- all the, you know, this display case, and that sort of thing there, and and I need umpteen prints because I just know I'm going to get that many people interested in buying this print. And it's very easy to go overboard. You know, we we want to appear very professional when we attend these events, and um, I think sometimes it's just a matter of being frugal. In the same breath,
7: yeah, I know mm. I had what I was sure was going to be a popular piece one year, so I brought ten prints of it with me to Gen Con, and it took I don't know if I've sold them all, that was years ago, you know, probably three or four years ago. I was just utterly shocked see. that it didn't have the legs that I was sure it would.
4: Don't you just hate when that happens, yeah, <laughs> I really hate when that happens. <laughs> Um,
7: and then, and then I, I, of course ran out of the thing that people were buying that year, which was probably a two-year-old piece that I figured had run its course. You people, what's wrong with you? Buy the new thing.
4: What does that matter with you, loser? <laughs> so um 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 oh yeah, did we had. Did you find the other questions? Yeah, I've Jeff?
3: got a couple of um of topics here. Uh, I think we'll start with uh, Allison Stanley's. Um, I'm curious if the ninjas have any thoughts, tips, or advice on framing original artwork. So more specifically, how do you all frame your paintings? What are where are good places to buy custom frames? How do you balance quality and affordability? And you know, she's quite we've never I don't think we've really ever talked about that. Um, my own work I tend to I tend to map because I'm, I'm, because I typically work on illustration board and I tip I usually will mat my artwork to a standard frame size and that's as much a um, a service to the customer as, as anything because that way they don't have to go out and seek a custom frame uh, in order to have my work on their wall they can just go up and pretty much go to any frame shop and find a standard frame that they like so I, I tend to go with with I tend to custom mat to standard frame sizes that's my workaround for that um, Drew, do you find that you usually have to go in for custom framing or do you cut your board to a standard frame size and simply work within that?
7: Uh, I don't think I have worked to frame or standard frame size. It would probably be smarter than what I do, but I'm stubborn. <laughs> I'm, so just use, I'm just stupid. <laughs> yeah. uh, once in a while, I'll get something framed at the local frame shop, but I prefer to order my frames online. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use pictureframes.com. And I'll order uh, my my paintings do tend to be in several sizes, uh, you know, twelve by eighteen or something mm-hmm. like that. So I'll order three or four frames of that size of the, the for the painting that I'm trying to frame, and then use the one I think looks best with that, and collect the others, and hopefully do a painting to fit the frame. Oh, so you find <laughs> that you do bulk sales? Uh, I'll I'll order in bulk. Oh, okay. order frames in bulk.
3: Now, does that usually give you a price break, or is it more of a price break on shipping, things of that sort?
7: Yeah, tell you, there's usually a special that I, you know, they're running a sale, and that's when I'll order. Oh, okay. Uh, I um, but I, I don't like the hardware they give you for holding the painting in the frame. Sure. So I've I've ordered some of my own hardware, you know, just off of eBay. It took mm-hmm. forever to find out what the things were called. And of course, I don't remember <laughs> now that I've said it, it if someone emails me about it, I'll tell you. But. No, the vocabulary has <laughs> fled. Yeah, I, I I knew the evening I was purchasing them. And One I, thing I I've often done is um, I'll, I'll um, paint on. Well,
3: for instance, I just completed a I completed a painting for Dragon Dice some time ago, and I I worked to a standard frame size for the board, and then I but I treated the excess area as bleed, so that. Um, I was still cutting my board to a standard frame size, but using the rest of the remaining area as bleed uh, on the um for the print. You know. how
7: about you, Sokar? How do you deal with framing?
4: I don't I just yeah. sell the drawings and let the customers frame them however they want. Um I say it's because I don't know how they want them framed, but I'm actually just lazy and I, and i don't and I don't know how to frame things and haven't learned. <laughs>
7: I avoided it for as long as I could because I didn't want to have to deal with it, but once I started framing and once I started doing paintings, uh, mm-hmm. I had them up on my wall unframed, you know at, at Gen Con, and then I had some that were framed, and they just looked so much better. I was really sad because that meant I had to deal with them.
0: Did you find
7: uh,
3: that that it had any impact on sales did Did people purchase pieces that were were the framed pieces ones that tended to go first?
7: Uh, I don't, know. You don't um, know. No, I I think I started set, framing them before I was really good enough to sell my paintings. So oh, okay. Now I frame them, and if they sell, I've recently sold a piece unframed, you know, making it clear to the buyer that it was unframed. I hadn't bought a frame for it yet.
6: Mm-hmm.
7: Um, but he just bought that over the internet. He hasn't even seen it. Yeah. You know.
3: I I guess you know. Further to Allison's question, the framing can be a bit of a. Um, it seems like it can be a bit of a bugbear because you do want to select a frame that's fairly. I guess you want to spectrum if you're going to offer a piece framed, you almost have to ex- choose a fairly neutral frame because if somebody, uh, a lot of folks are going to frame according to their own decor. You know, you and I might frame according to the piece, but uh, I think some collectors are going
7: to. Balance I don't think you can go wrong framing it to the piece because the piece would go into that decor. If it goes well with the piece, then it will go well. Okay, you think it really well, completes but, the whole art object? Yeah, I would say pay a lot more attention to the piece. Don't worry about where it's going to end up. Okay. Um, I, I used to. I, I would also say that pictureframes.com offers free samples, free three inch samples of their frames. Mm-hmm. So I have. Over the years, collected a, a wall of those. It's like a little frame shop down in the, the downstairs hallway. Huh. Uh, That's handy. Yeah. So don't be afraid to have them send you samples.
3: You know, I've I I used to mat my artwork uh, to the piece. I would I'd be selecting mats that would uh, that uh, the colors I felt complemented the piece. But I found that that can be a a bit of a there can be challenges to that because you may buy a whole board of a particular color only to find that it matches absolutely nothing else you've ever done. Yeah. So you end up with mm-hmm. a whole sheet basically of <laughs> of a, of a board you'll never use. And people as I, I it sound the, the the wisdom that was presented to me uh, was that white was probably one of your best choices just because it goes with just about anything you might choose to match. And it doesn't clash with anything that uh it wouldn't clash with frames or with the decor of a home or anything like that, just as for artwork to, you know first sight unseen oh my God, I just see this on the wall, and I must have it uh white seems to be a good clear choice for matting, but again, it, philosophies vary. I've seen some really tastefully done uh colored mats and even textured mats that seem to fit the piece very well, so the people that have it shows
7: so many ways to think and uh, approach this, you know? Yep. I, sometimes it's fun. Hmm. I, I've been surprised how interested I've been in coming up with good framing solutions.
3: Oh yeah, and I would also I would also recommend to people, if they're going to mat their work, I, I really would suggest um, more traditional techniques for matting. Um, you, archival techniques are, dis, are defined as those that can be reversed without damaging the artwork. And I would recommend archival practices, you know, acid-free materials that won't
7: potentially damage the artwork. Um, now, where are some places, do you know some places you could order custom mats? or uh, There are different suppliers online.
3: I mean, certain, some, um, there are companies out there. I've, I do my own matting, so I haven't done a whole lot of research into it. But there are services online, and, and frame shops sprinkled around the country do offer their services online. And you can get um, custom mats cut and you just have to take the inter you know, the interior window size measurements and let them know what how thick the bar should be the being the uh, the actual mat itself and uh, things of that sort okay. and I would say if you're going to mat your own work my high recommendation would be have something that's capable of a bevel cut because yeah. I know that there are some artists who go with a straight cut for because they simply don't have a bevel cutter and it, it, it doesn't quite look right. It, it, t- it tends to look a little, meh. and sometimes they'll try to they'll try to cut the bevel by hand, and <laughs> then it gets pretty ugly. Yeah. So you may have to. I can I can tell you this. It'll it cost me less to purchase a intermediate grade mat cutter and a bunch of board and blades than it would to have one of my pieces custom matted. And that was that was just uh, that was a revelation to me. Yeah. So you will save yourself a great deal of money um, if you do that. You also can find great deals on mat board online. Um, I believe ASW offers some pretty good prices on the Canson archival stuff. They're acid-free materials. Okay. And I've gotten great prices on board there, as an example. Um, So those those would be a few things. I would recommend water activated linen tape for your matting because it's acid free and it's archival, meaning that you can reactivate the glue with water and remove it from your artwork without damaging the paper. So that'd be something you could. um, That's not a bad point to raise to potential collectors, at least those who are who care about archival practice. Some collectors are actually kind of persnickety about it, so it's not it's not it wouldn't. Put you in a bad position to uh, get those materials and to follow those practices. But uh, yeah, so that I hope that helps Allison a little bit. We can always talk more about if additional questions come up.
6: Whew!
4: That was a lot of info. That was good, I think. More than I knew about framing, that's for sure.
3: You know, Chantal asked a question, but I'm tempted to wait until we have uh, more people on the panel, but. Maybe we can get her we can ask about it. Maybe people can talk about it on the forums too. And uh, one, of the, it's a small tangent. She says, "What is a ninja's relation to fandom? Are we big fans? Or, you know, are we big fans as well? Um, does this have an influence on our career choices?" And I, think should, I think we should. I think we
4: should do this one on an episode where we have Patrick.
6: Yeah, because I think
4: he has stuff to say about fandom, and you know, I think most of us. Uh, you and me, Jeremy, I don't think either of us really have anything to do with fandom, do we?
3: well, I think the the, the question she asked I, uh, I think the meatiest part of this question is if we ourselves were fans leading into our career choices, and yeah
4: that's what i th- that's what I thought I mean she's asking like if we're part of fandoms like uh you know the Hobbit fandom or whatever, but oh yeah, oh, uh, I don't know she, um, she kind of goes
3: into all aspects of fandom I think that could be its own topic right there, truthfully um yeah. so what do we think of um Fandom. What do ninjas think of their fans, and how do they view their relationship to other uh, artists that we are, in turn, fans of? And I, we can, I think, we'll uh, we'll put that to the next episode, we, if people are, would like to talk about it, because it's such a huge topic, fandom.
4: Yeah, you know. yeah, we could do we could do a whole fandom episode. We haven't covered fandom in a while.
3: What? Hmm. What's that, Drew?
4: I don't know.
6: I said this.
3: you breaking up. Am I there? I think you're going no, on the uh, the <laughs> other side of the moon. <laughs> oh, he's back. <laughs> but that's a good question, Chantal. Well, uh, we, I think we can talk about that as a fun little episode coming up. I also have uh, a few interviews that I think I'll be able to sprinkle into the next couple of episodes. This episode and the and, uh, next couple of episodes from uh, interviews that I took while at IllusCon, which actually feed pretty well into Chantel's question about how we view our you know, the relationship with artists that we're fans of, because I got to interview folks that, whose work I admire. Cool. But uh, yeah, well, let's, uh, I think we can wrap it up, although I, I believe our man Kieran had to drop off he had to drop out for a while, a busy man that he is. And um, I want to thank you guys for coming in today it was, we, uh It's been a while since we got together, and the new year in 2013 yeah. is, I think, starting off pretty well. Did you guys make any resolutions? I just resolved to be a lot busier.
4: I didn't even bother. I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Forgot forgot. all about it, did you? (laughs) I'd never keep it anyway. Uh, I don't know. I guess I could make a resolution to. um, I don't know. Uh, What should I resolve?
6: Basically,
3: what we made this resolution. It's been a couple of weeks, so you know, naturally, these resolutions have already been have been lost in time and dust. So
4: I guess I could resolve to eat more organic food or or to um, recycle more. Oh,
3: there you go. All right.
4: I don't. I don't even know where the recycling bin is in this building. Find it.
3: If it's outside, you're screwed.
4: I've actually been going outside more. Oh, good job. All right. I, I started a birding blog and, you know, I've been out birding quite a bit.
3: You haven't been trying to lure the birds into your apartment for a closer inspection?
4: Well, I've been, I have, my bird feeder kind of broke. Well, it didn't break, but it started attracting seagulls. So all I'm getting is gulls and crows and this one sad little song sparrow. So I've been ha- to get to find interesting birds. I've been having to actually leave my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> like um, I saw an eagle um, a couple of weeks ago. I was out walking, and oh, that's cool. And I hear this little noise, like a little tweet, sort of a peeping noise above my head. And I thought, oh, it must be a chickadee or something. So I look up, and this massive bald eagle is staring at me from above. <laughs> I'm like, ah. Get out of here. Of course, I live in
3: this small suburban area of uh, of Manchester, New Hampshire, and uh, I saw a peregrine falcon just kind of swoop up to a low branch and just hang out there for a little while. I thought that was rather intriguing.
4: I love seeing birds of prey. They are so awesome. The thing is funny- they eat other birds. Yeah, that does suck. But the funniest thing was this. I ran back to get my camera so I could go back and take a picture of the eagle, but it left as soon as I turned my back. But then I saw it again, and it was sitting in this little park across the harbor from me, Mm -hmm. and these crows, these, like, this pack of vicious crows was dive-bombing it for like an hour. They were, I, I even got a picture of it that I put on my bird blog, and the eagle's sitting on top of a tree, and a crow is just, like, beak down, diving on it like a plane in a stall going nose first for the ground except this crow is just diving on the eagle and the eagles just sitting there like screw you I'm an eagle (laughs) (laughs) bring it (laughs) these crows were so mad because it it chose their favorite tree they sit in that tree all day and the crows were just furious about this so I was sitting there with my camera taking pictures of it but it was so far away I couldn't get any really good ones I was mad
3: you know one thing that kind of bummed me out is that um my the class I was going I had been uh, hoping to teach this semester didn't get enough registration at the uh, at the university second time in a row.
4: Oh no, and that sucks.
3: That kind of hurts my feelings.
4: You know, but, uh, it's probably maybe people couldn't afford it. Well, these maybe are really it's harsh times.
3: the thing. The thing what what happens is it's the course that I want to teach is connected to graphic design and game design, and there's just not enough uh, art background for a lot of these students. Uh huh. So I think I may have scared some off. <laughs> I must have scared people. I don't know. That's the running joke. He made Aww. me. He made us do work.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well. You know, maybe next time you'll get enough enrollments. I mean, yeah. it, could be, it could be that you know, if it's if it's a class that they don't need to graduate, sometimes, sometimes yeah. people work. why uh, would I mean, it
3: damage their GPA? You know, that sort of thing. I, did, I, I, I was the softest grader on the planet. Oh my god!
4: I would have taken your class. I mean. Your your class sounds so much better than some of the classes I did have in art school. Like I sent, I'm sure I've told this story before. I signed up for one class and it turned out to be a walking around in blindfolds class.
3: <laughs> <laughs> a lot of bruised shins,
4: huh? <laughs> oh yeah, it sucked. And he dra- he dragged us out to this golf course miles away from anywhere, and I had to go to work right after class. So of course I was late for work because of this stupid. Stupid blindfold class. I, I don't. I don't even get the point of a blindfold class for artists. Mm-hmm. Oh God. <laughs> we need our eyes. You did explain Use to him them.
3: that blind contour was not. You shouldn't take it quite that literally.
6: Yeah.
4: No kidding. You may have
3: misunderstood the definition.
4: Yeah. It was all. It was all very artsy fartsy and annoying. It was. It was very. Um,
3: it was... I taught a pretty hardcore. The way I taught it was. It was fairly. In, uh, it was a tough course to teach because it's the the students most of them only had one semester of drawing when they came to me, so I found myself anyway, if that so I found myself having to teach a drawing class very much and but I had to couch in the language of illustration and I had to go I had to keep things fairly conceptual, when it mm-hmm. came to uh, not as you know when it came to the illustration I was I worked I worked the kids pretty hard, you know. But um, I was also a very gentle grader, so I think I balanced it out.
4: I remember my first life drawing class, it didn't occur to me that, you know, you're not really supposed to draw stuff that isn't part of the scene.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: And and I remember the teacher walking around behind me and laughing really loudly and um, without even thinking, I had drawn antennae on every single pose of the model. <laughs> 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 I thought he was laughing at how bad I was but he was laughing because I'd drawn all these like people with antennae on them all over my face <laughs> it never occurred to me that you're not supposed to do that oh,
3: man. but I, I have to say I really enjoyed teaching I, the thing is uh, for me to teach at uh, any other university or art program I'd have to. I probably would have to have a master's degree
7: to teach yeah, an accredited
3: program
4: yeah, a it's one training. thing to offer
3: an elective course which is what I was but uh, you
4: know, so a master's degree um, doesn't take as long as a bachelor's.
3: Yeah, but I, I don't. I have a bachelor in visual arts. These days, I think if you want to pursue a master's degree, you have to have a bachelor in fine arts.
4: Yes, you do. So you could take a you could take a, a master's in visual arts though. Probably. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I don't know. A master. You can take a. You can take you know if you've got if you've got sort of a general humanities major you can probably take a master's in just about anything <laughs> you could take a you could take a master's in i don't know anthropology or something which Perfectly. again would not really qualify you to teach uh, I'm, I'm fine I'm arts inclined
3: and, I'm inclined to accept the last uh, eleven years of work as a uh,
4: <laughs> yeah as an education um, but yeah, no kidding. Eh? I just wish that I had listened to my mother. I hope she can't hear me through the door because she'll be like, I told you so. I wish <laughs> I had listened to my mother and taken some business classes in art school. That would have been so helpful because um, Emily Carr actually does offer some business classes. Mm-hmm. So I wish I had listened to my mother and actually taken one because it would have been so useful at the beginning of my career when I had no idea what to charge or how to market myself or yeah. what to do. Well, mean, there's your New you Year's know,
3: resolution. Learn some,
4: yeah, there you go. Oh, I've actually been doing that. Um, over the last year, I've been working on some marketing stuff because you know, my, my entire marketing strategy when I first got started was go on RPGNet, get work, go back to RPGNet, get more work. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that was my marketing strategy. It was unsound.
7: How about you, Drew? New Year's resolution, man. I didn't make any resolutions, but something I've been doing lately is is trying to be a lot more disciplined. Sure. I've I've got a new schedule that I've been sticking to for a week and a half, and I've been tracking my time on things. Broadly, I guess it applies to, just like Socar, being better with my business, but...
4: That's a very good start, a week and a half yeah. adhering to it.
7: Yeah, it will also allow me to uh, have a big difficulty working from home, is being able to separate work time from home time, work time from family time. And that's the other thing I'm trying to get out of this schedule, is that if I'm at work during these work hours, then when I'm at home, I'm not at work. That's my... That's
6: a good idea. No, it's a great I, policy. Yeah, I think, I
4: think that's a g- good idea that's something i hadn't thought of and i probably should have because you know when you when you're at when you're home there is a temptation to be like well okay work is over but i'll just keep going for a little while get a bit more done but then the next day you're tired mm-hmm. you start working and you're already tired because you worked you know 15 hours instead of 8
3: oh yeah I've, I've killed myself on you know this last latest job just because i was trying to pull out that much more from what i'm doing and uh, it's, it's something, it's hard. You can't really maintain the kind of schedule I was keeping. So it's, you,
4: have to, you have to know when to limit yourself a I little think, bit.
3: Yeah, I think some of the wisest among us are definitely the ones who, who quote-unquote maintain that nine to five, if you will. It's going to be a little bit tougher for me. is that I will, I will very much be a, a stay-at-home pop for the moment. And uh, I'll be juggling my work time with maintaining a little guy.
4: So, that's really, that's that's really good though. I oh, mean, yeah. you can stay home, so you don't have to get you don't have to get nanny, you don't have to get daycare, and yeah. that probably means your kid will be a lot more healthy because he won't be exposed to all the viruses and crap that goes around those places. the
3: The only the only thing that you have to watch out for is that your kid doesn't turn into a social retard. You know, <laughs> you gotta socialize your child. You know, and that's at least that's something I'm gonna have to be very conscious of. You know, play dates and get him out there, and you know.
4: Yeah. So that he's all yeah, well I mean, socialized,
3: and when he gets into a school environment, he'll know how to function.
4: Oh, no, no, hey, I wasn't saying to socialize your Rich child. Out. That's
3: a terrible thing to do to a child. What's that? What?
4: <laughs> Why would you send him to
3: school? Yeah.
4: He do not need no education.
6: No, he's got to learn
3: how
7: to defend himself. What's that? Teach him at
4: home. We homeschool.
7: You no, do? I, I was homeschooled. I turned really? Okay. Yeah.
4: That worked out for you?
7: Yeah, I think so.
4: I think that would take an awful lot of self-discipline.
7: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm not that smart. Well, you only have to be smarter than, what, a, a fetus at this point. <laughs> you can keep ahead
4: of him. Well, I think, I don't know, Um, you you know, not did, it, not. Regulations
7: vary quite a bit from state to state, but seriously, it's the best think, way to educate your child
4: in this to country. To yourself, really? Yeah. I don't know. I'd, I'd pick private school over daycare or over sorry homeschooling. But then I don't like children, and I have no intention of having any. So don't ask me. <laughs> well,
3: I think I would shoot for the happy medium. Where well, I think where some parents make the mistake is they don't get involved enough in their child's education, and they, they leave it all at the doorstep of the school.
4: You have to you have to make a happy medium though. Because- yeah. You know, if you're, if you're up in your kid's face too much, they, they, they end up not having confidence that they can do it themselves. I mean, you know, some parents, they check all their kids' homework assignments, and, and you know, they practically redo it for their kids. And then the kid gets to university, and they have no confidence they, they think that they can't.
3: Well, you yeah, know, I mean, within, well, within reason, of course. But I, I'm just thinking in terms of uh, you know, there are a lot of there are parents who don't get involved enough in their kids education they, they they leave every responsibility to the school and they don't accept any for themselves and that's a that's a potential pitfall there you know yeah. but you know this oh, is I'm,
4: oh and when i said i don't like kids i didn't actually mean i hate children i just meant i don't like them in my in my home <laughs> <laughs> i don't, I don't I mean i don't i don't want my own it's not that i have any animosity towards children in general i'm just not the parental type <laughs> <laughs>
7: News, news in. Just a little bit of backpedaling there, huh, Sokar?
6: Sokar doesn't like children.
4: Yeah, I'm the Grinch. No, I just realized (laughs) that that sounded... I just meant that, you know, I don't want them in my home, really. I, I would make the worst parent in the world. And, and, you know, I'm happy to play with other people's kids and, you know, do the cute stuff like, uh, you know, give them presents and uh, feed them sugar. But I don't want to deal with the ensuing screaming fights over who gets the present and, and uh, sugar high.
3: Uh, you'd probably do a better <laughs> job than you imagine.
4: No, you know, I'd be a good grandparent, but not a good parent. <laughs> 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 so I'm just, I'm just going to skip all that.
3: Well, anyway, you know, that said... Um... Yeah, I, I, my own resolution is pretty much to run a much tighter ship, run a better business, and I'm gonna have to be that much more conscious of how I maintain my schedule, especially with the little man. And my wife is gonna need lots of help. So,
4: I still think you should name him SoCar. SoCar, yeah. I <laughs> think
3: I should name him SoCar. I'm
4: yeah, gonna keep it a secret awesome for, for
3: purposes of the show. I'll keep it a secret what we're looking at naming our little man.
4: Actually, you you told us what you were gonna name him once. No, I, not on the
3: show, I don't think.
4: No, you told a couple of us before the show, and I remembered it for quite a while, and then I forgot. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so it'll be just as surprising for you.
4: <laughs> Damn it.
3: <laughs> Yay, bad memory.
4: It is kind of exciting, though. It's almost it's almost like we're all getting a new edition. People new with
3: bad ninja. memories have, the, have
7: very exciting lives because they're constantly surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mentioned to Jeremy, I haven't been a, a regular on the show for about 15 months now, and it's Probably not a coincidence that we have a fifteen month old <laughs> I'm almost afraid what's gonna happen when I have to you know what I am with how busy I'm gonna be but we'll see
3: maybe you're I'll gonna, be able to gonna. record with you guys during nap time yeah, yeah. You, call can, nap. you can they
4: you call can, nap you, can time. you can you can like bring it on the show I mean I think really little ones they don't do that much do they they just sleep so you can be like on on the show oh but if only <laughs> <laughs> I That's
3: you know, so all they know do. They they, they sleep a lot all through the night, even.
4: Well, no, they, they sleep they sleep a lot during the day, and then they then they wake up at night, and they're like goblins.
6: You know? Oh no! <laughs> well,
7: speaking of, I've got to head out. <laughs> all right.
3: Well, thank okay.
6: you,
7: guys. So, anything you want to tout before you walk out the door? Uh, no, I I've fallen behind on my own projects anyway. So. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so,
4: car? Okay. Yeah. What?
7: What are you up to, So Car? Real um, quick pitch before we go.
4: Uh, today I'm drawing an anteater with a bird on its back. Nice. I'll probably finish it today or tomorrow. Well, I was going to get it finished today, but some guys were delivering a desk, and then I was talking to you.
6: Mhm.
4: Yeah. Well, I'll, no, I'm going to finish it in a bit. I'm just going to go through the other room as soon as we hang off and I'm going to work on that some more.
3: Cool. And uh, I will just say, if you haven't already, check out uh, The Art of Jeremy on Facebook. If you're not already a Facebook friend of mine, you can check out the uh, that page, and I usually and I maintain a pretty active presence. So um, I want to thank Sokar Miles.
4: Hi, I'm um, Garbledme.com.
3: Drew Baker. Hi, I'm Drew at DrewBaker.com. And posthumously to Kieran Yanner, thank you for joining <laughs> us. Uh,
4: <laughs> He's dead. Poor,
3: poor <laughs> Kieran is lying dead in his apartment right now, and you know,
4: where'd he go? His dog is eating his face.
3: <laughs> yeah, the animal loves him. <laughs> loves to eat his face <laughs> off of his corpse.
4: Man, I've been watching too much Walking Dead lately.
3: <laughs> and let us cue the musication before the before this humor just goes further and further south. <laughs>
4: bye <Bye-bye>, bye, everybody.
3: Bye. <gasps>